Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven human beings, companies, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Many large dairy companies in the U.S. have been shown to use unethical and unsustainable practices that can result in lower quality products and have a negative impact on the environment. That is not the case with our guest today and the company they work for. Our guest today is president of Vermont Creamery. Her name is Adeline Drouart, and she's on a mission to create dairy that tastes better because it's made better. Vermont Creamery's line of fresh and aged goat cheeses, cultured butter, and creme fraiche have won hundreds of national and international awards. As a certified B Corporation, Vermont Creamery is devoted to promoting environmental sustainability, local agriculture, and social responsibility. Adeline, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thank you, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be uh, here with you today. It's so great to have you on. And for our longtime listeners, all seven of them, they probably know that my wife comes from Vermont, not far from where you are. She grew up in Lindenville, so I'm quite familiar with Northern Vermont and the beauty uh, of both the people and the landscape. So, you know, I'm a little jealous, although it is, the, it is still winter as we're recording this. So I'm not that jealous. I do love spending summers in Vermont, but uh, it's so great to have you on. I'm going to start with a really kind of basic question that I know could re- result in an answer that could be an hour long, but maybe you can give me like, or give our listeners like a quick answer. I've always been fascinated with cheese making in part because I have no idea how to do it. So could you give our listeners a very, very quick tutorial on how cheese is made? A very quick tutorial. This is probably the biggest challenge of my day today. Uh, You start with fresh milk, fresh, high-quality milk. And that's very important because you got to make sure you have a great product to start with. And then this milk, so the milk is made of protein, fat, and has minerals in there. It's very rich and healthy uh, raw material. We we pasteurize it, so heat it at certain temperature to, to kill the bad bugs in there. And then after that, we add starter culture. So similar to when you make yogurt, you add um, yeah, starters, bacteria, and those bacteria are going to eat the sugar in the milk, the lactose, and then produce some wonderful flavor and acidity into the milk that is going to make those proteins come together and coagulate to turn the milk into a solid form. Uh, which is called curd. So you go from a liquid milk to something that looks like a yogurt. And then after that, you can take that curd and then drain it a little, a lot to take the whey out of the curd, take the moisture out of the curd. And this is then how you end up with cheese that is, you know, soft, fresh, and moist to cheeses that are a lot harder. And then it's either you keep the cheese fresh, you add some flavors, some herbs, some spices, um, like we do with our fresh goat logs, or you can age it for, you know, our soft ripened line of goat cheese, we age it for 10 days. But some other cheeses are aged for a lot longer period of time, a year couple of years, uh, it depends really on, on the type of cheese. But what's fascinated, what I love about cheese making is you start with the same milk, you know, it's you start with milk, and then you can go so many different ways into creating um, such a breadth and richness of, of different products. I don't think people realize that cheese making, I know that's only part of what Vermont Creamery does, is truly an art form. You're an artist. And I know we don't usually associate food with art until it's 
decoratively placed in a dish, but you are absolutely an artist when you're a cheesemaker. Artists and crazy scientists. Yeah, because we play with, you know, bugs to some extent with, with uh, cultures and bacteria. And, and also uh, food and especially cheese is a living and breathing ecosystem. Like especially the aged cheese continues to age and develop flavor profile over time. So it's, it's fun. So I have, an uncult- I have an uncultured comment. Speaking of cultures, I love the curd stage because I love poutine. Our listeners probably are surmising by now that you're not from Vermont. They might mistakenly think that you're French Canadian because you're in Northern Vermont. You're not that either. You are from France and you went to University of Lyon and you attended a national dairy school. You have a master's degree in biotech from University of Lyon. And then you were required, and you can tell me if I'm wrong in any of this, you were required to take an internship. And a friend of yours had visited Vermont and they told you about Vermont Creamery. And you at first were like, uh, Americans don't make real cheese. You know, they make cheese whiz, which also, by the way, is delicious, even though it's cheese spelled differently. But you Googled Vermont and fromage and creme and Vermont Creamery popped up and, and you didn't speak English. So you asked your professor to help you write a letter in English to translate your resume. And you sent your resume to the two founders of Vermont Creamery. And that was way back. I think it was in the early 2000s. I, I don't have the dates here. You were you started off in oper- as an operations manager, then went to general manager and president of the company since 2015. Did I get all of that right or mostly right? Because that's a great story. Even if it's wrong, it's a great story. <laughs> it's so true. I'm like, you got a lot of dirt. Uh, none of this, almost none of this is on my LinkedIn profile. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yes, there's probably more, but maybe maybe not for this podcast or maybe for uh, chapter two for a follow-up. But um, what was it like coming from France? You probably didn't speak a, a ton of English, so you had to learn English. Of all places, like my in-laws moved from England in the late 60s. It was a group of them to northern Vermont, to Lindenville as engineers to work, right? And that was culture shock. Even though it wasn't the late 60s, it's still culture shock to move from France to Northern Vermont, you bypassed every major city. I don't know if you'd been to America before, but what was that like, that trip? So that trip was, um, so the first time I was getting on the plane. So I, I had no clue what I was getting into. I mean, really, like you said, I had, I had to do this internship. I just went online and Googled Fromage USA. And then somebody said, check out Vermont. It's close to France. Send that resume that I asked my, um, my teacher, English teacher, to help me craft because I was not speaking a word of English. I mean, I knew how to say hello. My name is Adeline, but that's, that's where it stopped. And, and then when, uh, when Bob and his son, so when Vermont Kerr popped up, I sent that resume and then they say, hey, let's do an interview over the phone. I'm like, shut up. What am I going to say? I, I, pr- I won't understand anything. I won't know what to say. So I prepared. I Wrote all the possible questions somebody could ask in an interview and the, the answer I would give. And then, again, working with my English teacher, she helped me translate everything. And so I show up at the interview over the phone with a friend of mine that knew how to speak English. And I did a 30-minute phone interview with no clue what I was saying, but just reading what I had to read. He was pointing me on the paper, like what I need to read, because he wasn't understanding the question and I wasn't. So that's how I kind of 
<laughs> move my way through locking in this internship. And then I said to my dad, I'm going to America. I got this internship. And he's like, you never traveled. You never been in another country. You don't speak English. What are, what are you doing? I'm like, well, we'll see. And so I really didn't know what to expect. Uh, I just remember getting through immigration and, and being inquire about my trip. And this is really when it hits me. It's like, oh my God, I don't even understand what's, what those people are asking me. What am I going to do? And then I drove from Boston to, to Vermont and I uh, arrived at Alison Super, our co-founder of Vermont Creamery at her home. And I remember her husband welcomed me and speaking in English and I broke in tears because I'm like, what have I done? I have a plane ticket two months from now. I don't know anybody. I don't understand anything. And I mean, if I die, my parents were never going to find me because clearly Vermont is in the middle of nowhere. And so, <laughs> you know. There's, there are a lot of places uh, to hide bodies. You're absolutely right. <laughs> there are a lot of places. Yes. Yeah. And so I went to bed, you know, and then. Woke up the next day and I just remember vividly this moment. I, I arrived in Alison's kitchen and, you know, my eyes are puffy and, you know, I'm this 21 years old that now she's like, she has to deal with me for two months. And she's like, so um, you don't speak English, don't you? And I said, no, no, madame. And so well, I happened to speak French. So she started to talk to me in French and she said, let me make you breakfast. And so she Toasted those bagels. I never had bagels in my life. I'm like, oh my God, this is exciting. So started to just warm up a little bit to the experience. And then she spread this amazing butter um, on the bagel. And I started to taste this butter and it tasted like home. It tasted like France. And now I'm sitting in this kitchen with this amazing woman that is telling me it's going to be okay. Let me take you to the creamery. Let me introduce you to my team and we'll, we'll work things out together. And so that was my roller coaster from oh my god I could die and my parents would never gonna find me to all right maybe this this could be fun and I'm gonna be okay so you still look like you're 21 what what year is this it was actually it's gonna be 20 years this summer wow there must be some like age-defying something in the cheese that you guys are making that's incredible and and look at you today so you're president of the company and you haven't left like so you probably went back to, to France to see family and whatnot, but you've, you basically stayed from age 21 from that internship till today. Yeah. Well, I, I, I really got lucky to meet those two incredible founders to really fell in love with the company and the people, the product, its mission. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a passionate person. I gotta, I gotta drink my own Kool-Aid if, if I want to be a good leader. And so it, it's been, um, it's been a journey. I mean, the fir my first job on that first day at the creamery, uh, they put me on the line and I started rolling butters and stickering boxes and, um, and you know, working side by side with our um, production workers. And that was very telling. And little by little, I would say, hey, you know, I think there is better ways to do this. Can I work on, you know, efficiency? Can I take on that project? And they would say, yeah, why not? Go, go for it. Do it. And so I was very empowered to come up with solutions, to come up with ideas, to test them, to learn, to fail. And so that's how I then got promoted to operations manager and then uh, general manager and, and president. But when I joined, we were a very small company. We had 23 employees. So I knew that in order for me to grow in the business, I had to grow the business as well. 
I, I do question your comment about the bagel being good from Vermont. I mean, being that I'm a New Yorker by way of New Jersey Oof. originally. Okay, got it. I, 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 everything you said is super compelling and interesting, but I don't know if you've had a New York bagel yet, but uh, nothing compares to a New York bagel. Okay, well, I can send you some more goat cheese because I, I just heard that your wife wiped out the inventory and then you send me um, New York style bagel. How that sounds? Deal. Okay. Absolutely. Deal. Um, our local bagel store where I live actually does ship because my son goes to school outside of Boston and I've shipped him bagels on occasion because that's how good they are. So uh, that is a Perfect. fair trade. So uh, we've heard it here. It's documented as recorded. We'll do that. And then in what, 2017, it's just so interesting because in the same way that Ben and Jerry's, also an incredible Vermont company founded in Vermont, was acquired by Unilever, you guys were acquired by Land Lakes in 2017. How did that come about? And instead of me asking whether or not they've left you alone, because I think they have, what I want to know is what type of impact has your social purpose, your culture, no pun intended, um, how you run the company what type of impact has it had on Lando Lakes and the rest of their enterprise? Because it's my understanding that that Ben and Jerry's acquisition by Unilever was transformative for Unilever and, and its leadership to be far more mindful of future acquisitions and divestitures that were more in line with the values of the company. Mm-hmm. Well, good question. So, so to answer to the, the first part of the question, what, what led us to sell the business? So, you know, Bob and his son, started the business with $1,200 each. And that was 1984. So um, before, you know, artisan cheese or domestic or farmer's market or any of this was cool and on trend. So they really paved the way as pioneer of the artisan cheese movements, starting in Vermont, selling to chefs in New York City because they were the only, you know, one that were willing to give them a chance and then grow the business organically and thoughtfully. Both have, um, you know, three children, um, and they knew that at some point, you know, the business would would need more capital, would need more resources. Uh, Every time we'd have to expand the creamery, you know, we'd have to go to the bank and they would have to co-sign personally on those loans. And so we did that for 30 years. And then I remember presenting them um, our strategic plan and investments plan needed for the next three to five years back in 2016. And it was clear that we needed to upgrade infrastructure. I was like, we need a new boiler. We need a new cooler. We need, you know, to invest further into the brand. You know, the, the stuff, yeah, like you reach a milestone and a, a certain scale. And now it's like we need another round of investment to go to the next level. And this is when, you know, Bob Nissen said, you know, Adeline, we, we, we've run out of, out of duct tape here. It's time for us to really look into what's the future of the business what's our future, you know, as founder and, and find a new partner for you. And they were very intentional. They were very thoughtful about that. We then engaged with, um, with, uh, with an MEDA advisor that helped us, you know, look at what, who will be the best partner in that, I would say, next stage of and phase of our business. And there was a lot of interest because Vermont Creamery is a great brand. You know, we, we're mission-driven, we're B Corp certified, and, and the portfolio is delicious. So just lots of interest. And, and really um, what we saw in Lando Lakes above and, you know, what we saw uh, with, with the other suitor is, is such an alignment in value. Being farmer-owned uh, was very meaningful. 
was hard for me to imagine, you know, selling the business, working from founders and now working for Wall Street. That's just didn't align with personally what I wanted to do. And also the, the so being, you know, Land O'Lakes being farmer owned, having a hundred years history, being grounded in, you know, agriculture and having an important impact in our food system in the US. And also the the ambition of the growth. Roman Creamery and our team, we, we love growth and, and growing the business and then using that growth to enhance our impact, whether it's on culture, on our mission. And, and Lando Lakes was so excited and supportive of that growth ambition. And this is how um, the partnership you know, came about and, and was a match. Um, and now we're five years into it. We're about to celebrate actually tomorrow, the five-year anniversary of uh, both company coming together and us joining the family. And I would say uh, lots of learning. It is hard work to integrate a small, you know, business into a, you know, Fortune 250. And so um, the way we have focused our energy and, and time is really making sure that what makes Roman Creamery a great company a great brand is well protected, well supported. And then where there is synergy and opportunity for us to learn so we can accelerate our growth is when we're leaning into integration. I mean, we had a lot of things on papers and Excel spreadsheet and not much sophistication in our system. And now here we have access to so much expertise. So it's that balance of leveraging you know, the expertise of a large organization and then staying true to who we are as a small mission-driven innovative company. And so how we have impacted Lando Lakes, I think it's uh, bringing new consumers to the franchise. Uh, you know, we are, our brand fits really well with millennials and Gen Z and what consumer need for, for the future brands. You know, we bring new tastes, so you know, super premium products to the portfolio. And then also the way we innovate. We are very agile. We throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Uh, we move with speed. And, and so this, this entrepreneurship and innovative uh, mindset is, is very true, um, you know, five years ago and up to today. Yeah. And, you know, as we end uh, Women's History Month, we come to an end of it. And happy anniversary in the combination with Land of Lakes, by the way. Can you talk a little bit about as well some of, you know, both kind of social impact, but also progressive policies you have in terms of childcare advocacy, women in manufacturing, because look, it, it's hard for any size company to have a commitment, a real true commitment to those two specific areas. And those, sometimes those things fall by the wayside during integrations and acquisitions. And it doesn't sound like that happened. If anything, it sounds like you're now more empowered than ever to stick to your value system. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that's been very helpful into our uh, transition was the B Corp certification. You know, we became B Corp certified in 2014. And this was before B Corp was much known. I mean, we were one of the first thousand be a company around the globe. And, and the reason we did that is we knew, you know, we were purpose-driven and mission-driven since day one, but we also started to see big brands with big resources started to go on the greenwashing, you know, marketing campaign. And we felt like, well, we just, we've been doing it. We just don't brag about it. And so it was time for us to put a formal assessment and also put our 
mission into test uh, and assess it against other company benchmark and go through that assessment that is a very rigorous social and environmental impact assessment. And so we did that in 2014, and that created guardrails for our mission, for what we could do and what we, sh- we cannot do. And so as we then integrated, sold the business uh, to Lando Lakes, that B Corp guardrail became the mission guardrail for us as we scale and as we grow. So we, we have a four-part uh, mission strategy, sustainable mission strategy. One is, you know, one pillar is environment and planet impact. The other one is people impact, supplier and farmers impact. And then the fourth one is community impact. And to your question on, you know, why childcare? Childcare is related to our uh, people uh, pillar. It's 85% of our workers is in manufacturing. We saw that before COVID, we had a child care crisis in Vermont um, with three out of five children don't have access to quality, affordable, accessible child care. So imagine what a pandemic does when all those institutions are closed. What happens to parents? And so we saw the stress on so many of our workers, like child care is closed. They can't come to work. And when you are a food manufacturer, if people don't come to work, you don't start the line. You can't receive the milk when you only have 24 hours to take that milk and process it. So it, it, was, it became very apparent to us, like, we have to do something. And so there is an organization called Let's Grow Kids in Vermont that have been around for, for 10 years. And they called me and said, hey, we're putting a, a think tank of Vermont CEOs because now is the time for us to fix childcare infrastructure and system. And so we, we, we worked hard for a couple of months to put together a bill and a proposal to, to map out what universal childcare for our state would look like. And we passed this bill through. And it was such a big moment for us because we, uh, we now are positioning Vermont as potentially the first in the nation to, to design what a successful childcare system could look like nationwide. So that is one of many examples, but this one is close to my heart, of how you can use business as a force for good. And that's, that's the principle of B Corp. And that's, that's also when we say we make dairy that tastes better because it's made better. That made better is not mean to how we make the stuff, but also who we are as a business. Not only is it the right thing to do, but there are real business benefits to being so socially and employee focused, right? I'm going to guess that your retention rate is very high. Your employee retention rate, sorry. Yeah, no, it it is. And it is high. uh, But we also have another challenge ahead of us, which is manufacturing. The hours are set, not flexible. The location is on site, not remote. And you know where I'm going with this. It's like (laughs) the workforce you know, what, what, what people are looking for in a job is changing and, and manufacturing is the opposite of what people are, are some of the new trends or new desire feeds. So what, what our next challenge is to kind of reimagine manufacturing in different ways, such as what flexible manufacturing looks like for us. And we're spending a lot of time in those conversations. How can we offer part-time? How can we 
just think differently. And it, and it's a big challenge because like I said, you know, you have 24 hours to take the milk and make it into cheese. So it's not like you can shut down or pause, but it's a good challenge for us to figure out because if we're successful at redefining manufacturing for us, I think that's going to set us up for future for decades to come because our product is handmade. We always going to wants and need people to craft those products. So we have to figure it out. Some companies that have been both on this podcast as well as not have talked about unintentional innovations and or business process improvements that came out of COVID is the, the rare silver lining. Was there anything that COVID, as devastating as it was, and hopefully as we record this, we're moving to endemic. Is there anything that might have been good that came out of it as it relates to how you manage your business, how you work with your people, how you look at being able to do more with less or find efficiencies? Is there anything that you learned from that experience as well? So many learnings uh, and we're still learning uh, as we navigate other challenges now globally. It's the first thing is we, we, the office is next to the creamery, the creamery is next to the office. So we always, we have a culture of togetherness. All of a sudden, we're sending our office people at home, and then we're telling our plant workers, you got to show up tomorrow. And so navigating that and how do you communicate differently? How do you continue to strengthen a culture at a time where people are scared, they're afraid, and continue to do that, but differently? So the, the first week we sent everybody home, I created a video and sent it to you know gather all the employee emails, like scrambling to... <laughs> put that list together to send to send a notes and then week after week you know sending those video to to our entire company staff and then so started to make sure people stay safe feel safe and then the communication for me was super super important to stay connected while it looks different and then the other learning is uh, i mean overnight a third of our business is food service so restaurants overnight all those products came back to us because New York was shutting down. You know, we found creative way to use that product. We partnered with Lake Champlain Chocolates, a local chocolate company, B Corp certified as well, and made ice cream uh, and sold it during the summer by Lake Champlain and using those proceeds to donate to the food bank. So we really leaned into our mission at a time of hardship, uh, leaning to protecting our people. And I think that's served us well. And then we had to be super rigorous about how we're going to navigate the unknown. For a month, we had very, very low demand for our product. And so you have 130 people that show up to work and you're like, okay, let's keep busy. Uh, I knew we would bounce back, but I didn't know when. So that was a stressful time. And so staying staying focused and was very important. And then we spent a lot of time in what we got to stop making, stop doing to really build efficiency, to also proactively manage supply chain disruption with, you know, packaging or ingredients we can no longer have. So we reduced some SKUs, some product that we had made for 30 years. We had to say goodbye to it just to be more flexible and, and organized in, in our processes. Not just from a you know, public health care standpoint and the sadly millions of people who've died and still, especially, you know, in developing nations where the vaccine is not as readily accessible or available, continue to get sick and die. 
it was probably um, you know the worst period for many of us also in business. And I, I feel that and I get it. And I'm always fascinated, especially when it comes to stories from manufacturers and small businesses like yourself. Because even though you're owned by a big business, you operate and function like a small business. You, I'm sure you still have a lot of autonomy and you're responsible for your own PL, but you had to make some tough calls. I know it's made us all stronger. Um, I'm always interested to hear you know, firsthand stories of how leaders have, have managed through it. And I don't want to end without asking you about cow power and about Vermont Creamery's commitment to sustainability. Can you talk a little bit about that, what you're doing there and what your goals are? Don't tell me you're trying to be carbon negative because I still don't understand that, <laughs> but maybe, maybe a few other uh, achievable goals. All right. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad you're not asking that question. I, I'm with you on this one. So what are the true tangible things we're doing related to the environment, right? So the, the first one is we, we knew we wanted to look at our energy usage, not only reduce it, but it's like, can we source better energy? And so we partner with an electrical company, Green Mountain Power. They have um, a great program that's been established Years ago, they partner with farmers within the state of Vermont and have them put biodigester on farm, which for people that don't know what that is, is you take the cow manure, you put it in a big silo and then it ferments and create heats. And then at some point, this is turned into biogas. And then that's considered as natural energy, green energy. So we, you can choose if you want your electricity to come from standard, standard sources, or if you want a green uh, source of electricity, and that's what we, we transition to. So 100% of our electricity is coming from basically cow poop that creates energy that is transferring to electricity. So that's how we, we power our creamery. And another project that we're actually, as of Friday, we're going to be kicking off officially is, you know, I, I mentioned in my introduction how cheese is made. You have whey, which is the liquid that you drain off the curd. So all that whey and our buttermilk, we currently collected. This is, I'm talking tankers of it, couples a week. We go right now and give it to uh, farmers. They feed it to their cow. And we're like, is there a better usage of that byproduct? I am really interested in circular economy. You know, you, you produce something, you have some byproduct. How can we reuse and reclaim and all of that? So we have partnered with uh, Vanguard Renewable Energy. And they, they have, again, digester on farm where they can mix um, those byproducts, our whey and buttermilk into their digester and produce a natural gas out of it. So it's great projects. It's one at the time and it's trying to, yeah, to, to reduce our impact, to source renewable everywhere we can, and then look at our outputs and our waste and how do we either eliminate it or make the best of it by trying to have a, a positive outcome, such as a, a natural energy production method from it. In some ways, you're kind of fortunate in that the very thing that you're sourcing can also be used to power what you're building, <laughs> right? It's kind of, it's very circular for you, right? It is. I mean, it starts with the, you know, the land and the animals on the land produce the milk, comes to the creamery, make cheese, and then that cheese is powered by the land again, and that byproduct of the cheese goes back to the land. It's just... It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's incredible. 
Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And the next frontier for us, not frontier, but what we're actively working on is packaging because it's delicious cheeses made in a sustainable way. But most of our products are in plastic cup or plastic shrink wrap. And we have to find better source of packaging. So that's what we're working on as our next kind of focused project over the next 18 months. That has been one of the single biggest challenges for so many of our guests, whether vitamin manufacturers or making cheese, finding packaging that is biodegradable, but also effective or has an efficacy to be able to maintain the product and not people sick is so, so hard. And some of it is cost and some of it's material science, right? So I'm glad to hear you say that's something else you're looking at. My last question is a totally silly one, but I think it's important. And you probably are going to have a hard time answering it. Oh, boy. What is your favorite cheese? Oh, my God. Aaron, it's like asking me, what's my favorite child? I have two boys. And this morning, it was Hugo, my five and a half. (laughs) Oh, you know, it's so funny. I was going to say, you know. Don't worry, we'll edit it out. We won't. Tell me, is it Hugo? I knew it. I knew it was Hugo. Today was Hugo. Last <laughs> night was Matisse. Um, yeah. So my my favorite cheese, I will say it's one of our H cheese. It's called uh, Bonne Bouche. And it's the first cheese I got to make uh, as a cheesemaker at Vermont Creamery. And it's the hardest cheese to make. It's going to take us back on where we started. You know, cheese is such an art and science. And those soft ripened cheeses have a very unique taste and ricky rind. And to grow that rind and develop that flavor profile, you really got to master the art, the environment and the milk. That's actually what I'm going to have as a snack right after this podcast. And you know what? It's what you're going to have when I send you bagels next week. Oh, you can put it, got it. Put, put that, as, as we say in New York, a little schmear on the bagel, not to belittle the cheese as a schmear, but uh, it sounds like it'd be really good on a New York bagel as well. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Adeline, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've learned more about cheese than I ever thought I would. And I know that I only know like probably 8% of what I really should know. And now I'm really hungry too, because it happens to be lunchtime. So thank you for making me hungry. And I can't wait to visit um, in person next time we make our way through Northern Vermont, which if anybody, for our listeners, the Northeast Kingdom, Northern Vermont is, I think, the best part of Vermont. I know I'm just upsetting like two thirds of the state, but it is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. It's, um, it takes you to, uh, to a place that, unless you're you know, running a company, of course, is not very stressful at all, very meditative. So that's my shout out for Northern Vermont. But thank you again, Adeline. It was really great to have you on. And good luck to you and, of course, Vermont Creamery. Thank you, Aaron, for having me. It's been such a great conversation. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies, organizations, and people. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to our production team, including Maria Bias, Michael Grubbs, Anna Lamb, Haley Sackett, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show, sponsorship opportunities, and hosts by emailing bop at kwtglobal.com or visiting aaronquitkin.com. Find us on LinkedIn and Instagram under Brand on Purpose Podcast. Mm-hmm.